That song is a fitting introduction to the sermon this morning, which has to do with the uh, spiritual discipline of simplicity. In the passage that uh, was read for you, the reality of the passage is that you and I have an option in life, and the option that you and I have in life is to serve uh, and seek one thing or to serve and to seek many And so this morning, uh, very simply put, this song says that heaven ought to be so in our view that as we live on this earth, we do so looking toward heaven. As a matter of fact, I'll share with you three principles from uh, this passage on how to live simply this morning. And the first principle is to uh, treasure heaven, not earth. Jesus is talking here, this is the famed Sermon on the Mount, and he says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Uh, The word lay up means to heap up. Treasures in his day were things stored in a box or in a vault. Things that were stored in a uh, bank uh, came later, this currency uh, that people had. They didn't have much in his day, but it was stored in a bank or in, or in, a, in a box in their home. Ran across this story a couple weeks ago. Uh, some folks were remodeling a house over in England, and this is what they stumbled upon. You uh, will see on the screen a, um, uh, a case, and, and they... Uh, Uh, began to obviously pull the case out of the wall. You'll see where it is, open it up. And when they did, uh, indeed, and it was $23,000. Whoever had sold them the house forgot they had that money there. I've uh, remodeled a house for 15 years now and yet to find a dime, in case you're wondering. There's nothing tucked in any single wall except all the money I put in them. Um, and, And it's gone. So... So, so they discover that. Why is it, how is it that somebody could have that much money somewhere and forget about it? Well, things happen in life and we, we can lose sight and money can fade away. And that may seem strange for you to hear today, but let me, let me just uh, take Jesus' words and hopefully paint this picture for you. Jesus says, for moth and rust or worm destroy So the Jews in Jesus' day didn't buy a lot of clothes. They made their clothes and they wore them for a long time. And when they stored them, sometimes moths would get in and eat the clothes. Uh, That's why some translations render this, I think, more correctly, worm and not rust, because worms would also do that. And it is not an immediate loss. Uh, The word destroy means uh, loss over time. You see, except for extreme cases like a hurricane or a tornado or a fire, most things in life, as far as possessions, go over time. They vanish, in a sense, is the word. So where where things just vanish, they lose their value. There aren't many things that we own that grow in value. Most things we own depreciate, lose their value, and where thieves break in and steal. Literally to dig through, homes were made of of dirt and mud, and, and thieves would dig through those. So then here comes the question, is Jesus saying you should not have a bank account? 
right? Some people read this and go, oh, Jesus is saying I shouldn't have a bank account. And if you're a young person in the room, you can go tell mom and dad, no, I shouldn't save my money. Jesus said so. No, look at this. Store up for yourselves. For yourselves. It is the motive behind it. It is treasuring. That's why I use that word. Treasure heaven, not earth. To treasure something is to value it and hold it tightly. All right? But here's the rub. I can't see into heaven, so how do I know what to hold tightly there and to let loose of here? Let me give you some things that are in heaven and write these down. If they don't occur to you, and maybe you can go back and spend some time thinking through them this week. Here are treasures in heaven. A resurrected body. Anybody have any aches or pains? Yes. A resurrected body, a resurrected Christ, Jesus in all his glory. Jesus, we get to see Jesus face to face. Like Thomas, we get to look at his scars. We get to take him in. A resurrected earth. There is a new heaven and a new earth. And so the earth that you see, even in the glory of these beautiful leaves, the last couple of weeks will be more beautiful than you've ever seen it. Maybe you haven't thought about this, but as soon as all of this comes to an end and heaven is fully on, there's going to be a big meal. It's called the marriage supper of the Lamb. Good food with good friends. That's heaven. Sitting with people you love most here and enjoying a good meal. That's what we anticipate even now about the holidays, isn't it? Getting together with people we love around the table. That is heaven. One bride and one groom. The church is the bride, Christ is the groom, one bride and one groom, closer to our loved ones than we've ever been here. Why? It's hard to get along sometimes, isn't it? Uh, We hurt one another, we don't even try. Marriage doesn't always come easy, it's hard at times. Dating isn't easy. Getting along with people at work isn't easy, and we love Jesus, and we want to follow him and serve him. But heaven, there will be none of that, none of it. Treasures in heaven. Let me talk about, just from the book of Revelation, what won't be there. There is no death. There is no mourning. There is no crying. There is no pain. There is no temptation. There is no sin. That's what's not there. D.A. Carson says, It is a poor bargain which exchanges the eternal for the temporal, regardless of how much tinsel is used to make the temporal more attractive. 
So when you treasure whatever it may be, it could be your job, it could be your career, it could be a, your house, it could be your cars, it could be your athletic ability, it could be your intellectual capacity, whatever it is, when you treasure that, heaven gets lost. Jesus says it here, verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And D.A. Carson follows that up with a succinct statement, the things we treasure actually govern our lives. Whatever you treasure controls you. That's the point. Whatever you treasure controls you. That leads to the second principle, seek God, not anything else. Here the, uh, Jesus continues with a fascinating metaphor. The eye is the lamp of the body. The scholars have studied this. What in the world does that mean? That the eye is the lamp of the body. And basically where they've landed is that the eye shows the body where to go, what to do. It simply allows in the light that makes sense of the world. But it is the word healthy here. If the eye is healthy, Jesus says, because it's based on the word single. If the eye is single, what does that mean? A single eye. I used to wear contacts. Wore them for years. One day, Wendy and I are in the car, and we're coming this way on uh, uh, 70. We're down at the traffic light near Taco Bell, down there. And I look up, and I see um, not one, but two traffic lights all of a sudden. And I said to Wendy, the traffic lights are multiplying. And she said, well, what have you been drinking? Um, and then there were four while I sat there, and she said, pull over. And then she looked at me. She worked for an eye doctor then, and she said, how long have those contacts been in your eyes? I said, three or four months. She said, did you, did you take them out at night? I said, no. It's kind of a nuisance. Well, I peeled them off my eyes. I'm not lying. Next day, I'm at the eye doctor, and when I go in, my eyes are so bad that they can't even do an eye exam. Medicine for a week. Why? Well, I drive bad enough seeing single. I don't need to see two or three or four. Neither do you. And here we discover that a single eye is required if we're going to live a simplified life. How serious is this? But if your eye is bad, meaning not single, your whole body will be, will be full of darkness. You'll see double. Nothing will be clear. Carson says this. In Canada, where he lived, freshly fallen snow, he said, you just want to traipse across the powdery stuff. And if you watch the way you're going and you get to a destination, you look back, it'll be just all this and that. You won't go in a straight line. He said, but if you stand across a field and you find a tree and you say, I'm going to the tree, you can do that in a straight line. 
That's what Jesus is saying. You either put your eyes on him and you will walk in a straight line or if you just meander and follow your own steps and take this and take that with double vision, you'll end up God knows where. Verse 33, later he says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. This is why it is so important to have light casting people in your life and light casting practices. So necessary. Verse 23, if then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. I must admit, I read this again and again and again. Why? How can light be darkness? And Jesus says, if then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? How can the light be darkness? And here's where I landed. I'm going to say to you, this is, comes from no authoritative position. It's just my understanding of what Jesus is trying to say. If you are doubly visioned, meaning you are seeking Jesus and whatever it may be, that a deception will occur and you will think you're walking in the light, but you're in the dark. And that's the most dangerous place to be because you're deceived. You say, Jerry, what do you mean? I would say, give me anybody, any day, who knows their sin and owns their sin, and we can get somewhere. But someone who denies their sin and ignores their sin is doomed to destruction. they become deceived and they blindly stagger in the darkness. Seek Jesus, not anything else. You say, Jerry, that, that's, that's pretty defined. How? Let's keep going. I think you'll get it. Number three, serve God, not wealth. Jesus says no one can serve two masters. It's a very defined negative. It means not even one. The word serve here literally is slave. And in ancient Rome, it was thought that half of the people were slaves. So when Jesus mentions this, they know what he's talking about. No one can serve two masters. Why? You'll either hate the one and love the other. So if you've, if you've ever been in a job where you have two bosses, you just know what I'm talking about, Right? You're answering to two people. This boss says this, and that boss says that. And you either love the one and hate the other. That's what Jesus is saying. And put this in the context of slavery, and uh, it doesn't work out. Or, on the converse, of hate is devotion. Isn't that interesting? Or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't straddle the fence. You can't serve God, then he goes on to say, and he connects it to money. 
You cannot serve God and money. All right? So herein lies a question for us. Serve God, not wealth. And the reality is, in my 19 years here, for those of you who've been around during that time, almost without fail, every one of you is better off financially now than you were then. You are. I've watched you graduate high school, go to college, get jobs, build homes, buy homes, start businesses. I've watched you succeed. Jesus said this in a day when there was no electricity, no internet, there, was, uh, there were no automobiles, there were no uh, hospitals. So this would clearly be a how much more argument for us, wouldn't it? It's easy for us to trust wealth, money. The very definition of money here, it's the old, if you have an old King James, it'll say mammon. In the definition is what is trusted in. Jesus is saying, if you trust your money, you will not trust God. You can't do both. This is what it means to live simply. Now, does it mean you waste your money or you hoard your money or you... No, it simply means you don't put your trust in it. Matthew Henry was robbed. He, he was a theologian pastor, lived in the mid-1600s into the early 1700s, and here's what he wrote. Lord, I thank you that I've never been robbed before that although they took my money, they spared my life, that although they took everything, it wasn't very much, and that it was I who was robbed, not I who robbed. Wow. That's an attitude, isn't it? This morning during the early service, I received notification. Wendy and I live where we live. We own a couple little places behind us, and they said somebody is in one of your places behind you. That shouldn't be. So I go out, I call the chief of police in Old Fort, who I must say I always am amused that his name's Shady. But uh, I call Shady, and I said, Shady, I think somebody's down, you know, at the single wall trailer behind us. Uh, I've gotten word that shouldn't be, you know. And I lean over to Wendy, and she said, what are you doing? I stepped out to do it. I come back. What are you doing? I said, you know, and we just use it for storage. No one lives there now. And we just have things stored there. And so uh, she said, uh, I told her what I was doing. And uh, she said, well, what are we going to do? I said, I guess we'll look when we get home and see if we got our stuff. It's too late now, right? And then I thought, I need more of Matthew Henry and me. 
Lord, I thank you that I've never been robbed before, that although they took my money, they spared my life, and although they took everything, it wasn't very much, that it was I who robbed, not I who robbed, right? We didn't get robbed. Nobody took anything. Shady sent me a text before I preached at early service, said all is well. But, but I'll just say this is a challenge. Is that your attitude towards your stuff? Do you have stuff or does stuff have you? It's a big question. I want to give you a couple actions and then I want to talk about the ultimate actor in all of this. You say, what do I do now? I want to, I want to give you two practical steps. All right, you ready for this? Buy nothing between now and Christmas for yourself. All right. Yeah, some of you are laughing. You're going to have to delete your Amazon app. <laughs> Makes it way too easy, doesn't it? Buy nothing for yourself between now and Christmas. I'm not talking about food. I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about stuff. Say, no, 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 no. Between now and Christmas, I will buy nothing for myself. Nothing. No shoes. No, nothing. Nope. No, you know, no clothes. I, I got enough. I'll buy nothing for myself. Number two, give something away every week between now and Christmas. And don't let the person receiving it know it's you giving it. You say, Jerry, why do you include both of those? Well, the number one, I, I just, I know this church well enough, right? So when I, when I wrote number one, this guy's just face came through my mind, right? Because he loves to hoard his money. And I can see him now going home and going, hey, honey, you can't spend a dime. Jerry said so. <laughs> Jerry called it. But then I gave her something to shoot right back. That's number two. Yes, but I can give stuff away. This gets at both sides of this, doesn't it? You see, the person who hoards money hears a sermon like this and goes, I live simply. And the person who wastes money hears a sermon like this and goes, oh, now I can give away. No, 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 no. It's the attitude, right? The Matthew Henry attitude that should inform these two actions. And we got a load of college students in this room. I love you. You honor me by your presence. You honor me by your presence. Can you do this? Oh, yes. You can do this. You can do this. You, you really have something to give away. Just look around hard enough. Why is it that we Christians choose to live simply like this? Why is it that we choose not to let our stuff have us? Why is it? There's one reason. The man who gave this talk that I am just doing a poor job on my best day to present to you. His name was Jesus. Jesus owned it all because he created it all. He spoke and the world came into existence. The Jesus who gave this talk was born to a poor family in meager circumstances and on the wrong side of the tracks in Nazareth. 
and he grew up. And when he became an adult, he gave a lot of talks, preached a lot of sermons. In one of those other ones, he said, the birds of the air have nests and the foxes have holes. But the Son of Man, referring to himself, that was his favorite term for himself, the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Even though he made the place where he could lay his head. It'd be like you walking by your house and looking in it while others enjoy the heat at night. Knowing it's yours, but never stepping inside. That Jesus had a laser focus that took him to the cross. And on the cross, that Jesus, who lived the most simple life, died a pretty simple death. It's unusual to us because it's unusual today, but then it wasn't. It was a criminal's death, and he, he died like a common criminal on a cross, not because he committed any crimes. He didn't. He, he was innocent. They got the wrong guy, but they also got the right one because he died for you and me. The Jesus who gave this talk took your sins and mine on himself and died that you and I could have life. And the Jesus who gave this talk said, I'm going to prepare a place for you and I'll come back and I'll get you and I'll take you home with me. And the song David sang about when we all get to heaven and the meal I talked about, he's hosting it. It's his party. He's overseeing the cooking of it. It's real food. And everybody who's going to be there are, are people he bought with his blood. And we're going to sit down. And we're going to eat at his table in his house that he built in his city. One groom, one bride. That's simple. The reason we choose to trust him and not money is he did for us what money never could, amen? There, there's, there's no money. I, if, if I were the f wealthiest man in the world, I couldn't buy that. And the alternative is anything but this. It's called hell. It's chaotic. It's anarchy. Nobody's in charge. There is no control. To me, the most horrifying reality of hell is 
nobody calls the shots. I can't imagine the abuse there. The violation of persons is horrific to think about. There are no cops. There are no rules. You fend for yourself. That's hell. And it's real. And it's anything but simple. It's pretty complicated. It's a mess. It's chaos. We're going to one or the other. Jesus, who gave this talk, said that too. This morning, I beg you to come with me to heaven. I implore you to choose the narrow road. I ask you to say no to your sin and yes to Jesus and trust him that when you do, there is another place at the table. And that he'll set a plate and you will eat with him one day. Would you bow your heads? In the quiet and real solemnity of this moment, I ask you in this room not to single you out but to give you an opportunity today to say yes to Jesus. If you walked in this room and you know that you will not go to heaven because you have not trusted Christ as your Savior, regardless of your age or stage in life, if that is you and you say, this morning, Jerry, I realize right now I don't want to leave this place without being sure that Christ is mine and I want you to pray for me. Nobody's looking around. Would you just slip up your hand this morning and say, I want to give my life to Jesus I want to make heaven my home. If that is you, just simply lift your hand. Thank you. Anyone else? You're saying, I, I want Jesus. Thank you. Is there anyone else? Today, I trust Christ. Thank you. Anyone else? Today, I trust Jesus as my Savior. Thank you.
all heads are bowed, if you raised your, raised your hand, would you look at me for a moment? I see you, I see you, I see you, I see you. A simple prayer, prayed in faith to Jesus, who gave this talk that I've tried to help us understand a little. Goes like this, dear Jesus, pray this after me. I know that I am a sinner. I am sorry for my sins. I believe you died for me. I believe you rose from the dead. I believe you are coming back. Today I trust you as my Savior. Lord Jesus.